Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Is America headed for another French Revolution or a French Revolutionary-style revolution? Well, that's what Victor Davis Hanson thinks, and I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that, but also go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that uh, support tab and throw a few pennies my way. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click on the super thanks button under the video. Or you can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, where I teach, as well as McClanahan Academy. So you've got a couple of great educational websites there that you can use. You can also support the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review wherever you can. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. That does help. Also, of course, you've got my shop tab. You can buy my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Or you can buy one of my books anywhere books are sold. So lots of great ways to support the show financially. And again, send me those show requests. I want to see what you want to hear. All right, well, let's talk about the topic of the day. And that is Victor Davis Hanson and a piece he wrote at American Greatness claiming that we're headed for another French Revolution. Now, this piece gained a lot of traction uh, both in conservative and progressive circles on social media. What I find fascinating about it, of course, is we already had this. And this is what progressives were aghast about, that Victor Davis Hanson would dare mention that we're heading for another French Revolution when this is the same kind of rhetoric these evil conservatives used during Reconstruction. There is a history professor at Cornell University, Lawrence Glickman, who used to teach at University of South Carolina. He just went to Cornell about, about a decade ago, but he was there for a long time at South Carolina. He's written a number of cultural histories, uh, monographs. One was on um, you know malls, shopping malls, this kind of stuff. But um, he is one of these, uh, you know, kind of Twitter historians. He's not as bad as Kevin Cruz or some of the others, but um, certainly he makes his voice known on social media about what he thinks about modern politics from an actual historian, right? This is uh, this is what these people like to say. Actual historian here, uh, that there's, you know, if somebody doesn't have a PhD, they can't be a historian. And, and I mean, I pick on people like uh, Kevin Levin, uh, but he is uh, he is a historian. I just don't agree with his positions. And it's uh, but anyways, uh, these people like to make themselves out to be you know higher than they are. Now 
again, it depends on the circumstances and when you can do this and when you shouldn't do this. But to just say you're an actual historian that if you don't have any kind of training, then you're just a dope is ridiculous. But Glickman uh, posted after this, this is the same kind of rhetoric these evil conservatives use during Reconstruction to thwart all these kind of progressive innovations taking place. And I pointed out, well, that's not, I mean, that is true, but they actually said this before Reconstruction. They were saying it as early as 1861. Northern Democrats, not Southerners, because what he's basically saying, is Glickman is, is insinuating that only Southerners were doing this. He's evil, racist, anti-Reconstruction Southerners. But in fact, these kind of arguments started circulating in the North, in the North, during the early stages of the war and during secession winter. Now, they also were being circulated before that. And I think the problem with most of these historians on Twitter is that it's not really their, their field. It's not Glickman's field. This isn't it. He's just kind of uh, looking at some things that he knows about and he just throws some stuff up there. You see this a lot. You've got people with their field is Latin American history commenting on the, uh, the war for Southern independence. Or you've got people that are uh, you know, military historians commenting on American politics or whatever. So you know, these are things that these people do because they think they have a PhD, so they're credentialed. They can comment on anything they want. They're actual historians. That's the real problem I have with all of this. Most of these people uh, don't have a deep understanding of these things, and yet they think they're credentialed enough and that they're qualified enough to talk about them. So Glickman, uh, you know, doesn't, I, I, maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't know, I don't know. But as early as uh, 1860 and 61, people were talking about this stuff. There was a letter that Judah P. Benjamin wrote to James Byard of Delaware, private letter. But he called, he, he called, uh, of course, he used the term black Republicans, but he also used the term red Republicans. Now, that was fascinating because here is Judy P. Benjamin, who is, uh, of course, later served in the Confederate government, writing to his friend James Byard of Delaware, saying that at one point, maybe in the future, he would be free of his nightmare of red Republicans. Now, what does that mean? Red Republicans, revolutionary Republicans, this is the point, right? They were talking about this revolution that was taking place in America before the war. And then so when the war begins, you have people labeling the, the war another type of reign of terror. Byard used that very language in a Senate speech in 1861. So it wasn't as if these people weren't thinking about this, this war in French revolutionary style terms. That's what they saw the Republicans as. They called them Jacobins. They called them terrorists. They were leftists. And, by the way, the Republicans were clear to point out that their opponents were conservatives. See, this is uh, Henry Winter Davis who said these things, but there are others. But, I mean, this is the point. The Democrats were, were called conservatives. The Republicans were the progressives, and they were revolutionary. They were inaugurating a revolution in the North, and that revolution would be complete through Reconstruction. So this was not odd for people to use these terms. Glickman's making it out that only racists use these things. And of course, then, well, the Democrats are all racists. Republicans were racists too. I mean, it's, you, this is Eric Foner's free soul, free labor, free men. I mean, come on. 
This is, these are weak arguments made by weak-minded people who don't really understand the complexity of the history. Or it's outside of their field. Maybe they're not weak-minded, but they really don't understand it because it's not their field. That's the problem. That's the real problem. So when Victor Davis Hanson writes that we're headed for another French Revolution, we've already had it. We had it in the 1860s. Hanson is blind to this because Republicans good, Democrats bad. The other thing that I find fascinating about this, people talk about the lost cause as a pejorative. If you go back and read Clement Vallandigham's speech, and I've, I've got this covered in Copperheads at McClanahan Academy, by the way. I covered the speech. If you go back and read a speech he made in 1861, he makes the very arguments that the quote-unquote lost causers would make when the war is over. This is 1861. He's making the quote lost cause arguments at the beginning of the war. This is what the war is about. These were not arguments that Southerners made up in defeat. These were things that people said during the war itself. So how did they make this up again? And also you can go back and look at what Jefferson Davis said before the war. And he was, again, I've got a class on Jefferson Davis now reading Jefferson Davis. He was very consistent. His arguments in the 1880s are the same as he was making in the 1850s. His, his cogency is tremendous. Uh, they're, they're the same arguments. But people don't read that. They just cherry, oh, this is what Davis says, lost cause, it's lost cause. This is what Southerners, lost cause. Look at these Southerners after the war. This is, this is racism here. It's how silly these people are. But I want to get in this Hansen piece because I think he's right. We're, we're in a revolutionary style period. But this has been an ongoing revolution since the 1860s. The left has been continually pushing this soft revolution. Now I say it's soft because it wasn't a cataclysmic change after we got to Reconstruction. It was tampered down. right? Um, we did have, of course, the big war and that resulted in a million people dead. But then we had a period of reprieve where you did have some massive political, economic, and social changes in America. But there was a reaction to that. And so there was a, there was a, a dampening of that, really. And then, but the left never gave up. And this is where you get the progressive movement. And this is where you get these things happening in the 20th century. They just keep marching it forward little by little. This is why Dabney said in the late 19th century that you know, American conservatism really isn't conserve anything. It just conserves the discarded revolutionary ideas that the left has now moved on from, and they're on to something more radical. Conservatives are conserving that. In fact, if you look at the kind of the old left, they're just conservatives now. What are they conserving? Well, they're conserving the New Deal. They're conserving the great society. They're conserving what they thought was enough. This is where the Straussians, all the Straussians are doing when they say equality is conservative, they're you know, Lincoln is conservative. They're just conserving the first stage of this revolutionary period in America. That was that they're they're fine with it. That revolution needed to take place. Gary Wills said that Lincoln revolutionized the revolution. It really was a revolution. And this is a leftist. Gary Wills is a leftist, and he's calling out the war for what it was—a revolution. Lincoln inaugurated a revolution. It was just what. Democrats, Northern Democrats, and Southerners said it was a French Revolution that resulted in a lot of blood. But here's the thing. You, you just keep pushing that forward as it gets dampened down. You know, people, oh, they, they react to it. They don't like it. Even right now, if you say, well, you know what's happening in America? We're seeing a backlash against some of the stuff the left has been doing. It's not going away. 
It won't ever go away. They'll get what they want eventually because even if they lose, they are relentless. They will keep going until they get what they want and they can do it in subtle ways. And a lot of the ways they do it, of course, is through education, social media, these kind of things. They browbeat you until you agree with them. This is the point, right? So you can say there's all these slippery slope things and we've all... Proved it. I mean, it's been proven over time. The slippery slope is not a is not a fallacy of logic when it comes to how the left looks at things. It is a slippery slope. You do this, it's going to lead to this, 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 and this. It naturally does because the left always pushes the envelope and they never give up. They are relentless. So uh, Hansen is correct that we're facing a French Revolution, but this revolution has been ongoing for 150 years. Without question. I mean, you could even, if you wanted to be a real purist in this, you could say this revolution began with the Declaration. If you want to say America never had any conservative principles whatsoever, the Declaration is you know, a radical document, and it's a leftist innovation. And so we've been going through that since 1776. America really is a leftist design. There's nothing conservative about it. That's the Lewis Hart's uh, you know, position on things. There, there really wasn't ever a conservative phase in American history. But anyways, let's get into the Hanson piece because it's interesting. He says, We are in a Jacobin revolution of the sort that in 1793-94 nearly destroyed France. And things are getting scary. Well, you could have said that in, of course, 1861, and people did. People did. They were calling it you know, a red Republican revolution what it was. We've been in this now, but see, Hansen doesn't see where he's, he doesn't see that, right? He sees what happened in 1861 as a positive event, not a negative thing. In fact, he uses the term neoconservative. He can't, Hansen always has neoconservative on the brain. Anything that's not, doesn't agree, it's neoconservative, which is just so stupid. That's the problem I have with Hansen. Uh, he can't get out of his own way at times to really connect the dots on things. He says the Democratic Party vanished sometime in 2020. It's been going a lot longer than that, Hanson. Uh, I mean, you could say the Democratic Party vanished in the 1960s. It really did. I mean, this is what you know. This is why Southerners bolted the party because it vanished. It wasn't the party of Jefferson and Jackson. It became something else wasn't the party of you know, Grover Cleveland or even William Jennings Bryan. It wasn't that. It was something else. He says, It was absorbed by hard-left ideologues. They were bent on radically altering or hijacking existing institutions to force radical equality of result agendas that otherwise did not earn majority support. Well, you know who else did that? The Republicans of the 1860s and the progressives of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. This is their playbook. In fact, they called it you know, gradualism or permeation. The idea was to join your Rotary Club and push the agenda there. Get involved in your local city councils and push the agenda there. Get involved in your local Republican or Democrat parties and push the agenda there. The American people want affordable power and fuel and energy autonomy. They do not want a Green New Deal that results in dependence on the Middle East. Well, I mean, now he's going to get some policy prescriptions. This is true. People want affordable power, fuel, and energy. They do. I mean, energy drives where we are. You cut the power, America is nothing in a lot of ways. I mean, people are so dependent on it now. You cut the power and what happens? Power, energy, drives the modern world. 
you got to have it. It really was the innovation that changed everything. Electricity was the innovation more than anything else that changed everything. You can say the steam engine, all these things, but having electricity and what you can do with that has led to all the stuff in the modern world. So people want cheap power. They complain about their power bills. They complain about you know how much it costs to heat their home, how much it costs to cook their food, how much it costs to drive to work, how much it costs to get to work if you don't drive, if you take public transportation, whatever it is. They, they complain about the cost of these things. And of course, the cost of energy also drives the cost of food and other stuff. So we, we are dependent on cheap energy. They want fiscal sobriety, not a permanent stagflationary economy marked by bank failures, soaring interest rates, crony capitalism, and subsidies for those who choose not to work. Now, where did all that come from? Well, I don't know. The Republicans of the 1860s. He says they know no country can exist without a border, much less while offering bank blank checks to foreign cartels that killed 100,000 Americans yearly. Again, border security. Now, you could argue with the Straussians about this all day, but Republicans of the 1880s were certainly open, into open borders. I mean, in fact, if you go back to the 1860s, they were much more interested in open borders than the Democrats. And that uh, kind of flipped uh, for a time. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, Republicans were just as interested in this free migration of peoples from wherever as Democrats were. And you can say, well, Democrats were interested in the Irish and the Germans. Well, um, yeah, they were in the cities, but Republicans were certainly not opposed to it. Just go look at their party platforms. They weren't opposed to it. They demand realist deterrence abroad, not the current woke military whose erosion is spelling the end of American credibility and global stability. Uh, realist deterrence. I don't even know what that means. If you're talking about a non-interventionist foreign policy, well, I mean, probably so. Though I think most Americans are on board with American involvement in Ukraine. I think the majority of Americans are, regardless of whether on the left and the right. I think that's the case. But there is something to be said when Max Boot actually comes out and says, you know, I was wrong about some things. I was wrong about neoconservative foreign policy. It's a bad idea. Yeah, it's a really bad idea. It really is. Uh, but certainly what he's, what he's pointing out here, you know what all this is? Of course, this is the Republican Party of the 1860s. This is the Republican Party of the 1860s. You know, big spending, central banking, all of that comes out of the Republican Party of the 1860s. The Republican Party of the 1860s and the 70s and 80s, this is why Grover Cleveland was vetoing legislation left and right, because they were spending like mad. Open borders... The Democrats, Cleveland in New York, was against the Statue of Liberty. The Republicans weren't. Who was the aggressive party when it came to foreign policy? The Republicans. All day. So what Hansen is doing by saying this is the Democrats, we've lost the Democrats. I mean, look, we're just, the Republicans have just won. The 1860s Republicans right now have won. Right. That's that's the whole point. We've gotten to 1860s Republican America. And conservatives don't like it. Well, because conservatives pointed out why they wouldn't like it then. Racialists are eerily embracing discredited neo-Confederate notions of racial chauvinism, discrimination, segregation, the old one-drop rule of racial obsession. Now, who else? This is, this is a really fascinating point that he makes. Jim Crow originated in the North. 
In fact, it originated in Connecticut and Massachusetts. They used the term. In, and I've done a podcast on this. They used the term. Uh, Timothy Pickering, fascinating. Timothy Pickering called Thomas Jefferson our first Negro president. This is, the, this is his quote, Negro president. That's what he called him. These people were racialists. The New Englanders were racialists back in the early 19th and late 18th centuries. This is what they were. They were very fixated on this. You look at the Republican Party of the 1850s, it was about race. They didn't want black people in the Western territories. It's all about race. So who is this neo-Confederate notion? I would say that's, I mean, American, right? This, this, this racial America, this is what people were saying. That it's not South. It was America at the time. Now, we've, we've abandoned that in the 21st century. That's good. But this isn't neo-Confederate. This is, I mean, you look at American history. It's, I mean, if we, don't, if we don't accept that, we're in trouble. That there's some type, some type of these good guys that didn't believe that and these bad guys that did. That's the real problem with the right. They won't, this is what I talked about with Calhoun uh, you know, last week. They don't really understand that when they bash Calhoun, they're really, they're really destroying American conservatism. Because Calhoun was on to things. It's not just about, it's not race or slavery. It's not that. Those were the most unoriginal parts of his entire political philosophy. It was power. He understood what the left was doing. It was about power. And by the left, I'm talking about the those that opposed Calhoun. Calhoun called himself a conservative. Literally called himself a conservative. He wasn't a progressive. Not in the way you know we think about progressives. I think Southerners did view themselves as progressives to a point, but not the way we think about it. He says, They are turning America towards a balkanized war of all against all. Balkanization, this fear. Oh my gosh, if we don't have strong central government, we don't have strong nationalization, we had balkanized America. Balkanization would actually cause some peace in America. If you had to have Calhoun's concurrent majority... To do anything, you would have peace. Because none of this stuff would ever get there would be no agitation. Well, it's not gonna it's not gonna fly. These people aren't gonna do that. There'd be no agitation then. And you would have to work through your states. You'd have to get things done there. And let me tell you something the states are more willing to do a lot of this stuff than the general government ever would be. The, the second Vermont Republic, you know, Thomas Naylor was certainly under, understood that. Vermont could do more on a left agenda than the general government ever could. Same thing with the CalExit people. This is what they're saying. These are leftists. Because they can. They're right. To implement such an unpopular program, the new left must uh, radically alter our institutions. So the Democrats periodically threaten to pack the courts and the filibuster, destroy the Electoral College, and override the state's prerogatives to establish balloting laws. What does this mean to pack the courts? Again, this term. I actually had a student of mine come in and say, it seems like people want to pack the courts. What does that actually mean? Packing the courts is not just appointing people to the bench. Now, if Republicans were really serious about reining in the federal judiciary, they could have done it many times over. They could have done it when Trump was in, was in office the first two years, 
They could have gutted the federal judiciary. They could have taken away, for example, the Ninth Circuit. They could have done anything they wanted. They could have gotten rid of the problems in the federal court system, but they chose not to do it. Why? Because they like it. It gives them something to run on. The filibuster? Uh, ending the filibuster? Well, I mean, Democrats don't want to do that either. Some Democrats, anyways. Because, again, they realize the power that can have if Republicans are in power. Destroy the Electoral College? That is underway. There's the National Popular Vote Initiative, where if you get enough states that have a total of 270 Electoral College votes, they will just go with the whoever wins the National Popular Vote, regardless of what their state wants. Regardless of how the people in their state vote, they don't care about that anymore. They're just looking at the national results. It doesn't matter. What we really need is a revitalized Electoral College. We need to revitalize Electoral College where people vote for electors, and those electors pledge to vote for somebody. And so you can have split electoral votes. Or you have a situation where uh, you get the at-large votes going for whoever wins your state, and then you have, that will be two per state, and then you have each congressional district vote for an elector. That would give people more power in the Electoral College. But of course, all the states would have to get on board with that because if you don't do that, then some states are going to lose out in this situation. But California would never go for it. The, the progressive states would never go for it because they're not interested in that. That's what I talked about yesterday. When they talk about power sharing, that's not what they want. They want power. It's not about sharing power. It's about power. And then, of course, you know, state power, where did that get destroyed, Hanson? Well, you're... Your uh, beloved Republican Party destroyed it. They destroyed it. They deny the committee assignments of the House Minority Leader. They engage in stunts like tearing up the State of the Union address on national television. With impunity, they mob the homes of Supreme Court justices to lever leverage their decisions. I mean, this is, again, they're looking at power. This revolution is run by elites and is a top-down operation. Well, that's true. This is how all revolutions are. I mean, this is... This is Lenin. I mean, Lenin said the people are never going to do it themselves. So you have to have the vanguard. The party has to be the vanguard. And so it is driven by the top. It always is. University deans all but prompt students to disrupt invited campus speakers. District attorneys release violent arrested criminals without bail. Woke generals call their Chinese counterparts to warn them against their own commander-in-chief. And again, he's pointing out all the things that have happened during the Trump administration and thereafter. And these are all true. I mean, he's not, he's not saying anything that's not true here. He's saying this is a you know, French Revolutionary-style situation or French Revolution that's taking place in America. And what are we going to do about it? The Pentagon lectures the country on its supposed innate racism, even as the United States continues to lose wars abroad, abandon billions of dollars of equipment to terrorists, and allow, allows communist China to surveil domestic Amer American military bases with complete impunity. Words change their meanings. Racist now means don't dare object. White became the pejorative stereotype used by racists. Diversity means tired orthodoxy. Equity is a synonym for bias. Inclusion ensures exclusion. Now, inclusion is about power. Again, all these words just mean power. When you use these things, the point is to make it to where your opponents can no longer have any valuable things to say. They don't really want to include them in anything. It's the accepted people that are included and then therefore there isn't really any inclusion and so it just means power 
institutions are no longer recognizable. The FBI, as we know it, no longer exists. I think it exists exactly the way it always existed. Same thing with the CIA. It always exists the way it was supposed to exist. That was the whole point of these things. Three former FBI directors either lied under oath to federal investigators or pleaded amnesia in congressional testimonies. Our highest former national intelligence officers lied under oath to the Senate. The IRS is weaponized against political opponents of the Democrats. Again, all these things are functioning the way they were supposed to function. The FBI, the CIA, the IRS, they're all functioning the way they're supposed to function. They're functioning the way that they were supposed to be used when they were designed, to go after certain people that they wanted the, the government wanted to go after. That's what they're there for. When, when conservatives, oh my gosh, I can't believe the FBI, the CIA, the IRS are doing this. This is what they all were created for. I mean, they weren't created for benign reasons. They were created to do the things they're doing. The Department of Justice is more likely to send the FBI after grammar school parents than mobs threatening the homes of Supreme Court justices. Anytime you have a government office, it's going to be partisan. It, it has to be because you have partisan people in control of these things. It's always, it's always been that way. This is, this is the funniest part about everything these Republicans are complaining about. These neoconservatives, West Coast Straussians, whoever they are. What they're all complaining about is stuff that they designed. And now that it's being used against them, the way it was designed, they're complaining. We shouldn't have designed it and had it to begin with. Still to thoroughly erase America, our Jacobins must radically alter our customs and traditions. So under the cover of COVID quarantines, election day was made irrelevant. In the new America, 70% did not vote on the designated day, but fueled by third-party vote harvesting and relaxation of audits of non-election day ballots extended the vote over a period of several weeks. Now, this is a problem. Election day should be election day. We don't have election month or election six months or whatever. It needs to be election day. Now, the argument, of course, always is, well, that means some people can't go because they've got to work or they can't get there, they can't do this. Uh, it's always been difficult for people to vote. Even back in the 18th century, there were people had to find creative ways to get people to the polls or to, uh, to help people with the, you know, getting to the polls and these kind of things. It's always been a difficult process. But, you know, uh, there's enough polling places that people can go. They can go after work, they can go before work. You know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I know there are always examples, you know, long lines at the polls. And every time I've ever voted, I've never had to wait in line to go vote. Ever. Not once. And most people don't have to. There are some places they do, but most people don't have to. Like the Jacobins, names and dates had to be radically transformed. 1619, not 1776, is now America's birth date. And we are told it was an ignominious one. Well, uh, this is, I mean, look, uh, Nicole, uh, uh, 1619 Project founder, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones says that 1619 is the founding, right? Nicole Hannah-Jones says it. Now, she took that down, but it was out there. You can still find evidence that it was on the web. They just kind of ignore that now. But this is what they wanted to do. 1619, not 1776. This is changing, reorienting our perspective. It is Leninist, what they're doing. This is Leninist more than anything else. And of course, you know, you could say there wouldn't be any Lenin without the French Revolution. The French revolutionaries were changing everything. They were radically transforming society. 
Statues are toppled, careers Trotskyized. So again, true. I mean, the French toppled statues. They took all this stuff down. They took down the relics of the old regime. It had to go. Biological males suddenly have hijacked women's sports, destroying five decades of women's hard-worn, hard-won efforts to achieve equal treatment and respect in athletics. I, I, I am fascinated by that, that we had all this push and now you've got this happening and what it's doing. And uh, there are some women, of course, pushing back against this, but a lot aren't. And I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised by that more than anything else. Um, it's fascinating to watch it. It's fascinating to watch the left implode on itself. What triggered the collective madness in this Jacobin takeover? The left's perfect storm of 120 days of riot, death, arson, and looting of 2020? The COVID pandemic? The disastrous two-year lockdown? The 2016 election of the outsider Donald Trump? All those catalysts and more. As the country collapses under leftist nihilism, the revolution's last gasp was to destroy Donald Trump by empowering him. That is, the leftist legal vendettas designed to win him just enough empathy be nominated the Republican Party's presidential candidate, but then to keep on indicting, gagging, and hemorrhaging him legally until Election Day 2024. And I think there is part of that. I don't, they don't want to put him in jail. They want Trump to keep going because they can, that is what unifies the left. Trump. DeSantis doesn't do it. Nobody else does it, but Trump does. And uh, I mean, I find this again, all that's fascinating. I think if Trump doesn't get the nomination, he runs third party. He's not going to, he's not going to give up. He wants, he believes he was wrongly ousted from power, that the Democrats cheated, which again, I would say that there is a lot of irregularities, but it's just like in 1960 and everything else, you're never going to approve some of this stuff. We know that the, the things that were done were designed to get the left into power and on the cover of legal, right, designed to get the left into power, and it happened. That's what they wanted to do. You look at the last election cycle, well, the left did better than everyone thought they did, including yours truly, um, because Republicans ran bad candidates. I think this is the case in many situations. They ran bad candidates. Where they ran good candidates, they won. They won handily. But where they ran bad candidates, they lost. And, uh, I mean, look, Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz lost to somebody who could barely even put a sentence together. Why? Because he's a bad candidate. Herschel Walker, same thing. <clears throat> I mean, this is, it's, it's embarrassing what the Republicans will do. Trump was the first president to be impeached twice, to be tried by the Senate as a private citizen, to have his private home raided by the FBI. Now he's the first president to have been indicted effectively ending America's moral authority abroad. America now has three potential futures, and two are bad. First, the Jacobins have two more years to finish what they started as the Founders' dream descends into our worst nightmare. I mean, I don't think it's it's not going to end in two years, right? They're going to keep going. They're going to keep going and keep going. Even if they're defeated or even if they get more what they want, they just move the goalposts. They want more, right? This doesn't end in two years. That's crazy. Second, the revolution has so warped our legal system, our voting on election day, and the FBI, the CIA, the Justice Department, the IRS, that even as spies on popular left will win elections. Well, I think that's going to be the case many times over. The third is that New York prosecutor Alvin Bragg has jumped the shark. His pathetic prosecution is so patently incoherent, illiberal, and in spirit uh, anti-American that two-thirds of the country will soon conclude the center is not holding. 
The Jacobins' reign of terror is unsustainable, and so in 2024 the left will not be defeated, but so defeated that it is utterly discredited. The choice is ours. Now, again, um, he's looking at this from a top-down situation. This is not this is not how you combat this stuff. we got to go from the bottom up. This is the whole point of think locally, act locally. All this stuff is happening. He's looking at it from the perspective of, look at what's happening here and here and here. Well, how do you push back against that from the state? DeSantis has really shown how this is done in Florida. DeSantis, as I said on the show, is a very effective governor, and he needs to stay there and make Florida better. Unfortunately, he's, I mean, he, can only, he only has the rest of this term. And then he's gone. And who follows him is going to be interesting. And how they follow him, what they do is going to be interesting. The, the pendulum's going to swing back a little bit. I mean, I don't think DeSantis and whoever comes after DeSantis is going to be as um, as aggressive as DeSantis is. But I don't know. I mean, Florida could stay in that direction. We know in places like Alabama, they can do, I mean, conservatives control the state. They can do just about anything they want. In other places, too. So I'm not certain you know, where this goes in some of these states, but DeSantis is the example that other Republican governors should be following. This has to happen from the state level. And then, of course, you've got your lefties and people like Gavin Newsom and, of course, at one time Cuomo, but now you've got, you know, the, the governor of Illinois, the governor of New York, all these other governors who are far left, and they're going to do what they want in their states. And you know what the beauty of that is? I don't live in any of those states. I, I, as long as my state, and if you're listening to this wherever you are in the United States or even around the world, but here in the U.S., as long as your state reflects your political culture, and as long as you can keep those people in power that reflect your political culture in your state, you're good to go. Because all this other stuff, all these other things. Now, we've got the court system we have to worry about because they can make your life a nightmare. And same thing with these other federal agencies that can do all kinds of things to you. That's that is a problem, too. But they're doing exactly what they were designed to do. The issue, of course, is how can you accept that other states are not going to be like you? And that's something Hansen is blind to. And all of these things he does, he's missing the main blind spot, which is the people that he champions started this stuff. The 1860s Republican Party. I've said it. Many, many times over. I've got a number of classes at McLean Academy on that if you want to pick those up. But uh, this is an interesting piece and the way people have reacted left and right to it I find fascinating. But I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McLean Show. See you then.